from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9. This is the end of our series of Acts of the Holy Spirit, and we'll transition into Acts of the Apostles, not so much the book, but the actual apostles in their lives starting next week. And, uh, and we'll tell you more about that when we get there. But for now, Acts chapter 9, so verse 26, this is, this is about Paul, the apostle, after he has converted to Christianity, but he's still remembered pretty vividly as someone who's not a friend to Christians. And verse 26 says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him in, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now we're gonna to go to another reading in a second, but let's talk about that one for a minute. Now this is, this is the last stop in a series, and so uh, if you don't, you know, if you haven't been part of the previous messages, haven't heard the previous messages, then then you may want to go back and review them on the podcast I joked about as well as online and so forth. But here's the thing. Um, when we read this story, there are a couple of things you want to note. The church started as a Jewish movement, as a sect within Judaism, and most of the world saw it that way. Most of the world viewed the uh, Christians as Jews with a particular bent. And of course the Jews resented that because they didn't want to be associated with the Christians. And the Hellenists, you might recall, were Jews who were not native to Jerusalem. And so they were Jews who came from places like Rome and other places around the Roman world. And they were Jews either by conversion or their historically Jewish roots had long ago taken them away from Jerusalem. So the the Jews in Jerusalem tended to think of themselves as being the purer of the Jews in the world. Uh, It's not uncommon even today for the really ultra-Orthodox Jews to feel that they are more uh, faithful to the pure, natural uh, expression of Judaism. So along comes Paul, and he's pretty much irritating people on multiple levels, and it shouldn't surprise you then that the Hellenist Jews want to get rid of him. They're more worldly, so they're more offended by him. And I think you're going to realize that in the times of the early church, there were a lot of things going on that we can see going on now. 
because, you know, we like to cancel people who offend us. And our feelings seem to have more power than facts. And critical thinking doesn't seem to play as big a role in our decision-making as the power of influence over our feelings. And so one of the things that drives the Hellenists to want to kill him is, is that he offends them. So just keep that in the back of your head. Then let's turn to Acts chapter 10. So that's just the next page. Flip the page, Acts 10, and starting at verse 24, now we have a situation where Peter has been called to witness to a Roman uh, government official and his household, and he is confronted with the tension between his sense of righteous Judaism as a native Jew uh, and he's being confronted with this reality that he is going to have to expand Christian community to include Gentiles or non-Jews, people who are utterly on the outside of what it means to be Jewish and, in effect, are the enemies of Judaism. And so in verse 34, it says, Peter opened his mouth and said to the Lord, basically, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that God, John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all people... Uh, to, yeah, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for several days. So this is the beginning of the church of the Gentiles, or to be more specific, the new chosen. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I have more stuff to share with you than I have time to share it. 
And my notes today are very comprehensive. And if you're a fan of those notes, you want to grab a copy on your way out. If we run out, we can make more. I can email them to you. In fact, I do. Every Monday, we send you the email newsletter. And I also send you uh, links to download the sermon notes and uh, access to the recordings and all of that. So it comes in your email. Make sure we have your email correct by using the connect card and so forth. But here's the thing that I want to try to get across in the time I have. That this transition that happened was now a matter of apostolic succession that didn't include Judaism. Now, a lot of wrongs been done in human history because of this idea. And so let me be clear, it is not that God no longer cares about the Jews or that he's not endorsing Judaism. In fact, that's one of the reasons I recommend that you take the Hesod, uh, Hesod class because you'll see some very carefully crafted connections for you to understand better what it means to be a Christian uh, based on the Jewish heritage of Jesus and all that he did. So as I thoroughly recommend that if you wanna go deeper, you consider that class with the Haywoods. Now, the thing I'd like you to understand though is that in order for God's plan to be fulfilled, the gospel had to leave Jerusalem. And what they discovered that we now take for granted is that it was not a gospel of a Judas, a Judaism first. And that, in fact, that's, remember we talked earlier about how the, uh, the Judaizers were really tormenting the early Christians because they were Christians by confession, but they were also committed to their Judaism. And they believed that you had to be a good Jew in order to become a good Christian. Some dude put water on her head and it has ruined the entire morning for her. It's all right, sweetheart, we understand and we love you. So, so the idea of the chosen is deeply ingrained in Jewish identity. And of course, as you can imagine, human beings can take that in strange directions. There are plenty of people out there, and they don't necessarily have to be Jews, by the way, who are considering themselves favored by God because somehow they deserve it, which couldn't be a more antithetical concept for Christians. Like the one thing you cannot say if you understand what it means to be a Christian is, I deserve God's favor. You can't say that. To be a confessing Christian is to say, I don't deserve anything from God. But for whatever reason, God wants to bless me. He wants to save me. He wants to love me passionately. And I'm going to accept that even though I can't figure out what I did to deserve it. Well, you didn't do anything to deserve it, but Christ did on your behalf all that was necessary and it was for love of you that Christ did it. So it's a bit of a conundrum, but it's also why Jews have always struggled to embrace the Messiah as Jesus. Because it defies the logic of the law of Moses, what's called the Mosaic law. Now, I could go on and on about that, but I recommend you take a class where you talk about it a lot. Have I mentioned that? However, 
What I do want you to understand is that now this, this new chosen, they're chosen to be witnesses. You heard that in the passage. They're chosen to witness Christ to the world. And they witness not from a tradition or not from a, a religious orientation. They don't, they don't witness from the context of a denomination or historicity that they claim they, they witness because the Holy Spirit has empowered them to witness. They are enabled to witness. What is a witness? It's someone who tells you what they know about a thing. Someone says, I'd like you to go to court and testify. What they are asking you to do is to say what you know and not say anything you don't know. And boy, does that get a lot of people in trouble, right? Have you ever noticed politicians aren't very good witnesses? They're always talking about things they don't know anything about. <laughs> Rather, tell what you know and stick to that message and you will be an effective disciple witnessing Christ to, be, to other people. And this will happen most effectively when you pray that the Holy Spirit is the source of your testimony. In other words, you're born again, empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit flowing as a sort of a rewriting of your software. You don't look any different on the outside, but you've got a whole new program running inside, a new operating system as it were. And this is what happened to the Jews and the Gentiles at this stage in the game, and it cost all of them something. So you remember when we talked about the cost of discipleship a couple of weeks ago, and we realized that for most of us, it's not a dangerous prospect, but it definitely comes at our expense. We're going to have to rearrange our priorities. We're going to have to choose new and more important ways to spend our time and energy if we're really going to embrace the call to discipleship or new life in Christ. And for the Gentiles of this day, it was a hugely expensive cost. They were embracing a whole new faith in a pagan world where it not only defied their conscious sort of sensibilities. In other words, it, it, for them to embrace this new faith was to no longer trust their traditions and their uh, habits and their various religious activities devoted to false gods. Um, that's that's kind of like flying without a net, right? If, if you've been swinging from the trapeze all your life with a net down there and your net was some pagan idolatry of, so, of sorts, then all of a sudden you're taking that net out and saying, I'm going to trust in an invisible power that I cannot fully comprehend and sure hope I don't die. I mean, that's a huge cost when you give up your pagan idolatry and you become a Christian. They overcame cultural barriers. Like I said, there's a religious culture already present in their society and they're defying it. And at the very least, they're making the people around them feel uncomfortable because the people around them are comfortable. They're set. They, they went to their pagan version of Christmas and Easter only, right? Those are CEOs, Christmas and Easter only, right? 
And, and so those pagans were upset because someone was making them feel ashamed and guilty about how little they really understood about what they, they couldn't refute Christianity because they didn't know how to defend what they believed. Nor did they care to because everybody accepted this flat version. You know what I mean by that? Like flat soft drinks, you know? It's just not the same when it's flat. It still has a sort of flavor of whatever your favorite cola is, but without the fizz, it's just flat. And so they had this flat faith in their pagan idolatry that they couldn't defend. And along comes this super fizzy, super powerful, amazing movement called Christianity. And it's upsetting. These people are on fire at great personal risk. They're spreading the gospel everywhere they go. And what are they spreading? It's witness. It's testimony. My life was this way before then Jesus happened, and now it's this way. You ever heard that one? If you've been watching The Chosen, they've kind of revived that, but it's nothing new. When you want to share your faith with somebody, here's what you say. My life was like this. Then Jesus came into my life, and now it's like this. Now, if Jesus in your life hasn't changed it much from the way it was before Jesus, then there's probably not a real Jesus thing happening in the middle because there's nothing on the other side that looks that different from what's on the front. Okay, so the first thing you have to do if you're going to really confront your testimony is say, Lord, I want to be born again in the Holy Spirit because right now the front side of my witness doesn't seem any different from the back side of my witness. I've had people tell me in my religious experiences as a pastor that I've, they'll say, Dan, Dan, I've been inviting people to come to church because you're the best pastor we've had in 100 years. You know, I don't mean that I am, but they will say that to me. They will say, you, you are the best preacher we've had in ages. You, you're more energized than any preacher we've had because I've served a lot of churches that were already pretty much dead when I got there. And then they'll say, but they never come. Why don't they come? And I would say very simply, well, you've invited them to come see the new song and dance man because he's more entertaining than the last few. And they're thinking, well, I don't know how good he is because I can't see that there's much about you that's different today than before he came to be your pastor. I'm sorry if that hurts, but that's what people often say to me. My life was like this, and my life is still like that. And that's why your witness doesn't carry a lot of weight. So you have to be changed. And it has to be visible for people to really care about what you are inviting them to experience. And what's happened in this story is, is that the testimony of the converted Jews is so compelling that the Roman government official can't resist it or any of the other Gentiles. So the Gentiles are used to being looked down upon. You got to realize in this culture of high religion, there are a lot of people that walk around looking down their noses at the rest of us. In the culture of high religion, there's a lot of superiority complexes. I have the true faith. 
And I have all the habits that make me look good to all the others who believe as I believe. And as near as I can tell, you don't. And that's what they were used to seeing from their Jewish neighbors. This aloofness, this belief that they were chosen because they're awesome. <laughs> they don't read their Bible very well. The Old Testament is one story after another of God picking the biggest loser he can find and then showing through him or her his glory. Right? Because, because if you really don't look like someone who could possibly accomplish the task, and then you do, God can't help but get all the glory. Right? You know, whenever I get it right, I always think, thank you, Lord, for choosing me. You know, you won't believe this, beloved, but I swear it's true. Most of my life, numerically speaking, the greater percentage of my life was spent believing every time I looked in the mirror that I was seeing a loser. I believed that I was destined to fail at anything I tried. I believed that I wasn't good enough most of my life. And the funny thing is, is that I can honestly say that becoming a pastor began to change all of that for me, but I had to figure out how to embrace my unworthiness as the key to my success. <laughs> I had to figure out how Blessed losers are the people that God can most likely succeed with. And so if I don't ever get up here without feeling unworthy of the task, if that should ever happen, then I should quit. I promise you, I got up here today feeling unworthy of the task. Right now I'm worried about time. And you know why I'm worried? Because I'm afraid some of you will be mad at me. Right? And the Lord is saying, shut up. Because we came to worship, right? Because we came to worship. So here's the way I want to try to wrap this series up. When you see the Holy Spirit at work, it always changes lives because it is an overwhelming expression of the unlikely, right? It doesn't make sense that rednecks from Galilee who just showed up in their pickup truck, right? Just got out of their truck and started saying all those sort of countryfied sort of sayings that they say, and then they're speaking in tongues and they're being understood by everybody and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is being expressed perfectly, right? That gets people's attention. And it brings salvation not only to a select group of people but to anyone who would receive it. And that's why the movement called Christianity exploded after Pentecost, because it became the work of a new chosen, a body of people who were all the same because of the one Holy Spirit that they had in common. So we've talked in this last several weeks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And we've alluded to the fact that that same Holy Spirit needs to be at work in this church, in this body of Christ, that we need to welcome that 
and not fearfully. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Our Lord is gentle. Our Lord is so compassionate. Our Lord is not afraid of you and you don't need to be afraid of him. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Ask him to fill this church with the Holy Spirit. I want to ask an honest question. I want you to raise your hand to answer the question. If you were at the back to school bash last Sunday, you heard Katrina say right before you started, right before the doors opened, don't try to give away as many things as you can. Love every single person that you encounter even each other, right? You heard her say that. How many of you felt like the Holy Spirit was at work in and through that event and in and through you? Raise your hand. Look around. Okay. And you know what? I didn't see anybody doing somersaults in the aisles. I didn't hear anybody throwing up their hands and speaking in strange tongues. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. I'm just saying the Lord is kind and gentle and he meets you where you are. And his Holy Spirit can be here and work in and through us in a way that seems as natural to this group of frozen chosen Methodists as it would if there was a bunch of Pentecostals standing out there in front of me. Notice I said standing, because those people don't know how to sit. Just kidding. I got to wrap this up. There's a whole lot more in the notes, and if you're curious, then you'll see that what has happened, sadly, in the history of the church is that this movement was alive and vibrant and fueled by the Holy Spirit, but then it got secularized. And over the course of Christian history, it has devolved into a religious tradition just like that of the Jews in Jesus's day. And there's a whole lot of us Christians walking around with our noses high just like the Pharisees. And a whole lot of us who think that spirit-filled believers are strange. And we're not comfortable with such unpredictability in our lives. We like church, thank you, as comfortably as possible. Well, I encourage you to give up comfort as we move forward as a Shiloh family. And then one day when they reflect on these days in this new church called Shiloh Church of Jasper, that they might remember it as the years of the acts of the Holy Spirit and not the people called Shiloh Church. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Burn it upon our hearts and glorify yourself through it, we pray. Amen. Amen.